Welcome to Museum Archipelago. I'm Ian Elsner. Museum Archipelago guides you through the rocky landscape of museums. Each episode is never longer than 15 minutes. So let's get started. When we walk into a museum, we trust that the objects laid out across a table are done so with some expertise. Who gets to decide where those objects go? In a school, the teacher is the authority. In a household, the parent might be the authority. And sometimes, the museum can lend the parent some authority. When I was working in a science museum, we would always talk about making sure that the labels had enough nuggets for the parents to feel smart. This is Seb Chan, Director of Digital and Emerging Media at the Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian Design Museum. The kid would ask, what is that, Mum? What is that, Dad? Uh-huh. And mum or dad would look at the label and you they, they would need to be able to glean in a second or two, two or three main points about that thing and one that would make them seem really smart to their, their kid. <laughs> and and it, was, it was a tactic that, you know, That's delightful. you employ in museums because you're not designing it for the kid to read, you're designing it for the parent to read. And the parent needs to feel that they are smart in conveying this, inf- this inf- information to their child. They also need to feel that they can trust that. Our topic today is museum authority, specifically museum authority in a world increasingly comfortable with user-generated content. Our story begins in 1994 at the National Air and Space Museum. The museum plans an exhibit on the Enola Gay to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Critics of the planned exhibit, particularly U.S. veterans groups, charged that the exhibit focused too much attention on the Japanese casualties inflicted by the atomic bomb, rather than on the motivations of the bombing or the discussion of the bomb's role in ending the conflict with Japan. Who gets to decide? In an earlier age, this decision is simple. It's the authority of the state. The official reason for dropping the bomb was what would be reflected in the museum. In 1994, you had the debate over the moral and military reasons for dropping the bomb play out in the context of an exhibit that hadn't opened yet. The Smithsonian canceled the exhibit, and the director of the National Air and Space Museum resigned. I mean, Yanola Gay at the Smithsonian is one of the canonical examples in museum studies. I mean, everyone who studies museums looks at that and looks, looks at it almost as a cautionary tale of what happens um, uh, in a politicised situation. This is Seb Chan again. But I think what, what is important going forward, and particularly now in a time where more, more people have more voices and we can hear global perspectives, there's, al- there's alternatives to traditional um, mainstream media, there are, there are alternative uh, political uh, political viewpoints available to us, perhaps um, not always ac- accessed and utilised, but available to us at least. Um, you know, museums more than ever need to be confident in in presenting and arguing potentially controversial and difficult sub- subject matter, um, and they need to stay. Um, they need to stay the course, I think. Why I like this story is that the controversy happened before the idea of user-generated content was widespread. What would it look like today?
Today, many museums allow visitor input. It doesn't have to be fancy. Sometimes it's a pile of pens and a stack of sticky notes, on which visitors are invited to write about the memories of the Kennedy assassination, like they are at the museum in Washington, D.C. Sometimes it's a more elaborate system, like the 9-11 Memorial Museum in New York City, where visitors' stories are displayed elegantly on the wall. We call this a participatory museum. But where does the authority come from in a participatory museum? Surely we don't want the person next to us telling us about history. We don't want a creationist telling us about how evolution works. Uh, and I, I was thinking about this when I was traveling through um, Arizona and Utah, mm -hmm. uh, traveling through those areas, and I came to the Natural History Museum in Utah. Mm -hmm. Fabulous mu museum, one of the best museums uh, with fossils and din dinosaur skeletons. You think about that area and you think, think about... Um, the deep time that is evident mm -hmm. as you pass through it um, and, the, and the museum is providing tangible proof uh, for evolution mm -hmm. and tangible proof for um, a very old earth. So there is authority in the size of an exhibit space. Thinking of exploring a giant virtual world, I asked Seb about authority in video games. Perhaps there is some authority in a game system. It certainly feels super special when you find a hidden room or secret passageway in an environment. A player who gets immersed in a game tries to figure out the rules. And so when I'm playing a video game or I watch, watch my kids playing uh, video games, they are testing the boundaries of the world and trying to figure out how the rules work in it and how to figure out the story, um, how to figure out the story and the game mechanic. Like the museum is itself like a, like, like a video game. There's a series of rules, and once you learn the rules of the, the, the museum, you can understand it. You can have a ma mastery of playing museum, you know. You can mm -hmm. learn the words that art, art curators mean when they say things on those object labels. You can interpret that. Mm -hmm. That's mastery of museums. You can do exhibitions well. You can understand what a non-kind of linear narrative really means for you right. as you walk around the halls. And I think it's actually very hard to build a mastery of museums because mm -hmm. museums don't often consciously work towards making those rules explicit in a way that visitors can understand understand them. A participatory museum can also be thought of as analogous to Web 2.0, the idea that software gets better the more people use it. But Nina Simon, director of the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History and author of the book The Participatory Museum, argues that participatory museums only get half of Web 2.0 right. She says that there are two tentpoles to Web 2.0. The first is that users do something that generates information, like uploading a picture or editing a post. This is what museums do now by allowing visitors to upload their own experiences. The second tentpole of Web 2.0 is that the system adapts to those changes to create a better experience. Think of how YouTube will always generate a new recommendation, a recommendation compelling enough for you to click on. Museums don't make it clear how the information you're uploading will be used. Nina Simon says that's as if Netflix encouraged its users to rate movies they've seen, but not provide better recommendations based on their input. 
Without the second tentpole of Web 2.0, the majority of visitors, the visitors who don't think they have anything to add, are underserved by the exhibits that invite you to add your own voice. Who wants to drop a slip of paper into a comment box? But now let's imagine a share your own story exhibit that acts in the way that we're already comfortable with acting on the web. The most interesting stories would land at the top, providing a much better experience for the majority of visitors who have no intention of adding something to the conversation. So let's take this one step further. Instead of just being able to rate user contributions, there's now a robust tagging system, the type that museum visitors have already been comfortable with on the web for over a decade. For our modern-day Enola Gay exhibit, let's picture this tagging system. Users can add whatever they want, whatever opinions they have, and thanks to rating and tagging, the opinions slowly organize themselves along an axis from pro-atomic weapon to anti-atomic weapon. Like video games, the authority in a museum should come from users trusting the system, not the institution itself. Wikipedia has authority because we trust the way the system works, not because we trust the people contributing to it. There's no reason why museums should be any different. If your job is to display only one quote, you have to choose a well-rounded quote. How do you choose a well-rounded quote? for dropping an atomic bomb. But if you display multiple extreme points of view, you won't have a well-rounded quote, but you will have a well-rounded exhibit. This has been Museum Archipelago. You can find a full transcript of this episode and links to other episodes at museumarchipelago.com. Museum Archipelago is supported by listeners like you who have joined Club Archipelago on Patreon. If you can't get enough about how museums shape our lives, join now for $2 a month. If this is your first episode, subscribe to the show for free using your favorite podcast player. And if it isn't, leave us a rating or review. And next time, bring a friend.